seat. If you have your Bibles, uh, open up to Luke 12. If you don't own a Bible, there should be one somewhere around you. Um, Luke 12, but also go ahead and flip over to Mark 3 and put your fingers there as well. That's the two places we're going to be, Luke 12 and Mark 3. We good? Uh, I've heard this from a lot of people. Does this feel like it's been the longest week ever? Anyone else? All right. I feel you. The sermon will be timely then. Uh, real quick, just one announcement and then we'll get started. Um, I think I've mentioned, well, two announcements. Um, we're not supposed to be in here, just <laughs> to clarify. Uh, we got here this morning in the gym. It's still not dried, I guess, so thanks for being flexible and walking in here. Uh, if this is like your first or second time, eventually you'll get to see our normal setup. Until then, you're welcome. Here we are. Um, the other thing, I, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, we are as a church um, trying to support as many families as we can in our area that don't have Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just a couple weeks away. Um, there's tr- currently 28 families uh, through Family Connection uh, that get food delivered to them on the weekends because they might not have enough food to last through the weekend. Um, so their ch- child, children are on uh, free breakfast and free lunch. And so apart from that, they might not have food throughout the weekend. So um, we're partnering with Family Connection and saying, listen, like all 28, we'll take them all. However many we need, uh, our missional communities will rally around together. Um, and so because of like, I don't know if it's actually HIPAA, but HIPAA style stuff, the family has to give Family Connection permission for us to have their information. Um, and so that's what we're still waiting on to see how many families have signed up. I think there's been six or eight so far that have actually signed up and signed off that we can have their information. Um, so if you want to help out with that, the easiest way is just to get involved with a missional community. Uh, I know for some of you that means nothing. Dylan will explain that at the end. Uh, but get involved in the community because that's how we're raising the money and that's how we'll be delivering the food. Uh, so that's just one more reminder. We're still doing that next uh, a week from Monday or Tuesday is when the deliveries will take place. And so that's just kind of an update on that. Sound good? All right, Luke 12. Uh, so yesterday I competed in my second ever CrossFit competition. Um, now, if you don't know what, ooh, what is, I don't quite know how to read that. Uh, that you're that surprised that I'm an athlete or what? Uh, if you don't know what CrossFit is, it's just basically a cult that works out together and uses the same language. That's what it is. Um, my man Logan right here won it. His team won the competition. If he were to stand up right now, it would totally make sense um, why his team won it because he is just swole. Um, and so as I was rolling into the competition, uh, when I actually wrote the sermon, I was reading over it last night, I wrote in my notes, this is how confident I was that we won it, uh, we didn't win it. And so uh, we got, there's three different events. One event, we got fourth place. I'm not going to tell you how many teams it was out of. Uh, the next event, we did get first place, and then we got fourth place again. So uh, that was the competition. But as I was rolling into the competition yesterday, this same thought kept going through my mind is, have I trained hard enough to compete today? Like two weeks ago, I had the stomach bug. It's just been going everywhere, so I didn't work out. And then like the week before, something came up. I didn't really work out. And the week before, like something probably came up, you know. So like did I actually train hard enough? Was I really ready for this? Was I as strong as some of these guys that I was going to be going up against? Uh, And the answer came back, no. And so a lot of us, we're, we're preparing for life. We're in school. We're preparing for the next season of life. And so we're doing everything we can to build up the strength, to build up the endurance, to get there. But the juxtaposition with Christianity is, and what we're going to see Jesus teach us this morning, 
is that we already have everything we need to be successful as a Christian. That every part of strength, energy, stamina, all of that, that we don't have to work out for 30 years to finally turn into a good Christian. That everything we need is already possessed inside of us as a believer right now. So me rolling into this CrossFit competition, um, wondering if I had trained enough, I think a lot of us have walked into church this morning going, man, am I, am I really ready? Am I actually a good Christian? Have I worked hard enough to become a good Christian? We walk through life wondering this. A lot of you are starting to this dating. Do I get engaged? Do I not? And the thought that's going through your mind is like, can I really lead this man? Can I really lead this woman? A lot of you are getting ready to graduate. Can I really do this? You're starting to walk into the kid phase. You're starting to walk into the grand. Whatever phase of life you're going through, the question that keeps running through your mind is, do I have what it takes? Am I strong enough to do this? And we just naturally start to carry that over into Christianity. We're always going, man, like, am I a good enough Christian? Do I have what it takes? Um, 2 Corinthians will kind of set up the, the sermon idea for this morning. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God. So if you're a Christian, you are brand new. You are as strong as you need to be. You've got everything that is required for you to get through life. Do you own a Bible, Christians? If you don't, please take one today. You have one. We have the Holy Spirit, and we have salvation from God. There's nothing else that we need. The things spur, yes, the community around us spurs us to be more like Christ, sure. But it is mandatory for us to be a Christian. No, we have what it takes. Now, I know that a lot of you probably have come from a similar background from me, and so as we start talking about the Holy Spirit, um, some of you just get really nervous and uncomfortable. And some of you, just being honest, get way too excited too. There is a fine balance here that we're going to try to hit. So um, Luke 12, 8 through 12 is where we're going to land. Luke 12, 8 through 12. And I tell you, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Um, so let's, if you don't know anything about the church, what we do is we just take a book of the Bible and just teach through it. Um, so today it's Luke 12. This is just kind of the part that we're at. But I think it's very timely listening to how many of us are tired and worn out. I think this is a really timely message for us. So let's pray and then we'll dive into what this really means for us. Jesus, would you speak to us this morning? Father, would we trust and, and be excited about what you have given us, Father, which is the Holy Spirit? Would we learn to understand what that means and what that doesn't mean? And Father, would we walk out of this room with more confidence in you and more assurance of who you are and your character and your nature? God, thanks for giving us your word, Father. Thanks you for giving us the Spirit. Thanks for all that you do for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, before we get too much into this text, we have to take a step back real quick and highlight verse 10. Um, everyone just go back to verse 10 real fast. Uh, can you guys see, by the way? I know the lighting is a little weird. Can you see? 
some of your old, uh, I mean not old, some of your more experienced eyes might not be able to see. We can turn on. Just kid- I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You guys have the big pocketbooks. I love you. Verse 10. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Now, there's so much debate around this verse that we just have to pull it out and understand it contextually and then put it back in and then understand the verse as a whole. Uh, Because this unpardonable, this unforgivable sin, everyone has a theory about, everyone likes to talk about. So not knowing our backgrounds, uh, I think it was good for us just to stop here because uh, here's what I've heard. Um, If I say the GD word, is that the unpardonable sin? If someone commits suicide, is that the unforgivable sin? Is, what is it? What does it mean? Have I done it? Because we're all just kind of like, we know we're guilty by nature. So when we read that there's a sin that is unforgivable, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, we all get a little bit anxious. We all get a little bit nervous, and then theories start flying. I hate this about the church, and I wouldn't even call it the real church, but there are people that use Scripture as a power and authority over people. So I could stand here and say, here's what this means. If you don't tithe 200%, you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go to hell. Now, I would never say that because the Bible never says that, but uh, there have been some false teachers that would come along and say, this is what this means, and they use it as power and authority to hold over us. Um, So as you're flipping to Mark 3, I think this is where the context really makes sense. As you're flipping, let me read a definition for the unforgivable or unpardonable sin that will bring some clarity, hopefully. Uh, Mark 3, 22 is where we're going to be. The unpardonable sin is to knowingly, willingly, and persistently attribute to Satan the works of God done by and in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, who testified these truths to your heart. Let me read it one more time. And this is written by a guy named Danny Aiken, who is a really smart dude. The unpardonable sin is to knowingly, willingly, and persistently attribute to Satan the works of God done by and in through Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who testifies these truths to your heart. So the unpardonable sin is to constantly, knowingly, and willingly see acts of Jesus, see acts of salvation taking place, see whatever comes from Jesus taking place before us and going, no, 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 that's Satan. That is Satan. So, so here's just a real world example that we're all thinking. I'll just go ahead and throw it out. Um, who watched the Georgia-Auburn game last night? Right? We all watched it. We all cried. Here's what this would mean. The unpardonable sin would go, uh, no, Georgia won. Even though I know it's not true, I'm willingly walking in this lie, but to say over and over and over again that Georgia won, Georgia won, Georgia won, even though we all saw it take place, we knew what it was, that's an example, a real world example of what this knowingly and willingly um, pushing away from the truth is this unpardonable sin. So let's pick up in Mark 3, 22. There's a story here that we've read just a couple weeks ago in Luke 11 uh, that Mark and Matthew tell the exact same way, but they add this detail to the end, which I think in context just helps us out. Mark 3, 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying about Jesus, he is possessed by Beelzebul and by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. 
So these scribes, these Pharisees, these religious leaders uh, who should have known better, they knew what the Old Testament said, they knew that the Messiah was coming, they knew what Isaiah said, that when the Messiah comes, this is what's going to take place. They knew the truth, but they did nothing with it. Instead, they saw what Jesus was doing, and they were going, no, 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 that's Beelzebul, that's from the devil, that is not taking place, that's not of Jesus, that's from Satan. And so the first part that we see about this unforgivable or unpardonable sin is that it reveals a hardened heart that calls good evil. It reveals a hardened heart that calls good evil. So here's these guys, these Pharisees, these religious guys that were watching all that was taking place with Jesus and calling it evil. Have, have we done this? Is this a regular practice of us? Or are we able to sit back and go, I don't know what just took place, but that's got to be from God. Let's just stop for a minute. Let's just worship because whatever just took place is clearly from the Lord. Let's keep going. Verse 23. And he called to them and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? This is Jesus talking. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, the kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. Verse 26, and if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So what Jesus is doing is breaking down their logic, going like, well, you're, you're telling me I'm Satan, but I'm casting out demons. So you're like, that, that should not equal that. If that is true, then this house is truly divided and it's going to fall upon itself. So the second thing we see about the unforgivable sin is it reveals spiritual blindness that is willful and intentional. That we're still constantly, these Pharisees are constantly calling out things and they're doing it willfully and intentionally. They don't care at that moment. I, I've got four kids, okay? I've got two that can start to talk and I experience this sometimes when their logic is just dumb. Anyone else? Is that person sitting next to you? That you just try to prove a point over and over and over again, and they continue to argue the same thing. Your logic is flawed, little six-year-old. Go to bed, okay? And I, I mean, I'm sure we've all experienced this, maybe not with six-year-olds, but with our friends when they're so, um, so going after, so determined to run to the same thing and we're going, no, 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 listen, I can show you A plus B does not equal C. This is what's taking place. But they don't care. They're just running after it. They're willfully and intentionally going after the wrong thing. And that's what these Pharisees are doing. Pick verse 28 up. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever, and this is the same thing we read in Luke 12, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of eternal sin. Verse 30, for they were saying he is an unclean spirit. So the last clue that Mark gives to us about the unforgivable sin is it's a verbal declaration that is continual and unforgivable. That what does it mean to have this unforgivable sin? Well, it's a continuous declaration that God is not good, that he is not holy, it's lying, it's making up, it's deceiving ourselves to believe something else about God that's just not true. That is the power, that is the unforgivable sin. 
that the Holy Spirit is speaking truth into our hearts and we're constantly pushing away. No, 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 that can't be true. And I'm going to make up logic, I'm going to make up an argument, I'm going to do everything other than follow the truth that's actually inside of me, whatever the Spirit is prompting me to do. So, so here's a few final thoughts before we jump back into the sermon. Um, about the unforgivable sin. The, f- the first one that I think I've heard a lot of people ask, is the unforgivable sin a singular act? It is, a, is it something that you do one time, like suicide, like saying something bad, negative towards the Holy Spirit? Is it a singular act? Here's what Henry Alford would say. It is, no, it is not a particular species of sin which is condemned, like, oh, have I done this one thing? It is a definitive act of showing a state of sin, a state that is willful, determined opposition to the present power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not just one thing. Don't feel like you have to walk on this tightrope of dental floss, and if you do this one thing wrong, that you've blasted me against the Holy Spirit, and everything is wrong, and there's no way you can save yourself because you've done this one thing. Biblically, we won't see that. And so I'd affirm what these guys are saying. It's not a singular act. Listen, not even suicide. It's not what the scripture is intending to us. Number two, can a Christian commit this unforgivable, unpardonable sin? So if it's not one act, and if it's willfully and intentionally trying to deceive and trying to bust logic of all that is good, that all that is Christ, can a Christian actually do this? Well, no, of course not. Of course we can't. If we have put our faith, if we have put our hope, if we have put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, then how can we simultaneously go, I believe in this, but I don't believe in this. I believe God is good, but he's also evil. We can't do this. If salvation is real in your heart, this unforgivable sin is not for us. So, so what then does this mean? Are there friends of ours, are there family members of ours walking around pushing back Jesus, even though we've had gospel-centered conversations with them, pleading with them to come to Christ, not come to church, not to be a good moral person, but to put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Are there those that we know that are pushing and flirting with this line of the unforgivable sin? Yes. And remember, it's not a definitive act. It's a willful and intentional over time pushing and blaspheming against the Holy Spirit, saying, no, you're not good. No, you're not holy. No, you're not powerful. It's constantly pushing away. So that's what this means. That's what the scripture is talking about. He's not talking to his disciples. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to these guys that even though they've seen Jesus raise people from the dead, even though they've seen these miracles take place, they're going, yeah, but, like, where's the hidden string in here? Yeah, but this guy wasn't actually dead. Oh, yeah, but you healed him, but he was on the Sabbath, so like those cancel each other out. Just making up all these ridiculous lies to try to just blaspheme and push away all that they saw taking place in front of them. That's what this means then, to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. So now that we kind of have a framework about that, let's flip back over to Luke 12 and put all this puzzle piece together. Knowing, yes, that could have been a full sermon by itself, but I was trying to go through it a little quickly. Luke 12, we're going to pick it back up in verse 8. 
Luke 12, verse 8. Now, we've got to remember the context of what's taking place here as we start to jump into this. Uh, the Pharisees are now threatening death over Jesus. Uh, Luke 12, 1 picks up that there was such a large crowd, um, around 10,000, that people were literally trampling over one another to get to Jesus. So you've got a crowd that wants to kill him. You've got a crowd that so desperately wants to see him that they're killing each other trying to get to him. So Jesus pulls his disciples aside and says, listen, don't fear men. Whether people like us or whether they don't like us, keep your eyes focused on the prize. Don't fear man, fear God. So this is just a continuation of Jesus teaching his disciples. Verse 8, And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But those who deny me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So he's telling his disciples, listen, there's way more here than what's taking place. Now, is is anyone else in this room like me where we have such a hard time distinguishing uh, what is eternal and what is temporary? Anyone else? So our mind gets locked on, this matters right now in this moment, therefore nothing else matters. I've got to fix this one issue, I've got to fix this one thing, and we lose sight of what's temporary for what's eternal. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, focus on what's eternal Don't worry about what these men say. Don't worry about what these people say. Keep your eyes on the prize. If you deny me in front of men, I will deny you in front of my Father. But if you preach me, if you proclaim me, if you follow me, then there will be a day in heaven where I will bring you in and we will be good. That's what matters. Not just this momentary affliction, but what is eternal really matters. Romans 8.31 says this, What then shall we say? If God is for us, then who can be against us? Now that sounds like a great coffee cup verse, doesn't it? But like when real world situations take place, that is like the last thing we want to hear. When we feel like everything, everyone, the world is rallying around us. If anyone walks up and says, just remember brother, God is for us, no one's going to be against us. Mm -hmm." I'm going to punch that guy. That's what's going to take place. Because I don't in that moment want to hear that, even though I need to. We're always focusing on what's temporary, not what is eternal. And Jesus is reminding his disciples, hey, listen, don't worry about that stuff. I am for you. Then what can be against us? Verse 10. And this is just what we broke down. And if everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not. here's where we start to turn a little bit. Here's what Jesus is really trying to get at here. That if we are in Christ, and we see this take place in Acts, if we follow Christ, we've been given then the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit lives within us. He teaches us. He uh, grows us. He models for us. He only hears what the Father says to him, and he conveys it to us. C.S. Lewis refers to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost Hound that were the one that is pursuing you for salvation. And we've felt this before. I'm just by a show of hands, just curious. How many people felt the call of God in their life for salvation and you ran for some time? A day, two days, three days, three years. How many people would say that was me? Okay, so what C.S. Lewis would say, like, that is a Holy Ghost town knocking on your door, not pursuing you, leading you to salvation, leading you to him. So the Holy Spirit is the one that through Jesus Christ brings salvation into our hearts. The Holy Spirit is the one that saves us, sustains us. So when we talk about the strength, where does the strength come from to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower? It is, in fact, found in the Holy Spirit. 
That is what it means. So when Jesus says, listen, even if you speak a word against the Son of Man, that can be forgiven. But if you don't listen, if you don't follow the Holy Spirit, that cannot. So there's a lot going on here that we're going to have to dissect. I'll pick it up in verse 11. And when they bring you down, this is Jesus talking again to the disciples, talking about the Pharisees threatening them. And when they bring you down to the synagogues and rulers and authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, I don't think, I'm just maybe stepping out on a limb here. I don't think many of you are going to be thrown into handcuffs and brought into the middle of the synagogue for a hearing. I just don't think that's going to happen to us. I don't think there's going to be any kind of judicial hearing about you following after Christ. Maybe. I don't know where you're going to move to after this morning. I just don't think that's going to happen. What's going to happen for us is life. What's going to happen to us is death. It's friendships. It's conflict. It's fighting with your spouse. It's fighting with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's wrestling with the next direction of your life. What's going to happen to us is real world scenarios. Now, does anyone else build a case against someone else in your mind as good as I do? You walk into a conflict and you already have every argument that they could ever say filled out in your head to, a ni- to the nines, right? Like you just know if you're going to go this direction, I'm going to go here. If you're going to bring, I'm going to bring up this point. There's no way that, what would happen if we actually took this for his word and we walked into meetings, we walked into these hard conversations and go, okay, Holy Spirit, uh, you've got this. Did anyone else get really nervous when I said that? Why? Because we're so dependent on our strength, not his. I would argue and I would, and potentially plead with us that so many of us are dependent so much on our own strength that we don't even know where to start relying on the Holy Spirit. That as our journey with Christ has grown and matured, that we are so dependent on us and our own strengths that for us to say rely on the Holy Spirit, it's not us, Jesus to say, the Holy Spirit, verse 12, will teach you that very hour what you ought to say. We don't even know what that looks like. And in some ways, we don't even think we have a need for it because we've learned, we've grown, we've matured, we've got the answers figured out, and we think that we're self-dependent and self-reliant. And the scriptures say, no, if you're self-reliant, then you're not relying on God. And that's the whole point of this Christianity thing is that we cannot do this. We cannot do this on our own. And here's, here's, I think, how I know this. And, and maybe some of you guys are too green. Do you know what I mean by that? You, you just haven't ripened up enough. There's going to come a situation, if we don't learn this valuable lesson, there's going to come a situation, there's going to come a moment in our lives where, where there's not enough wisdom or strength within us to get through this situation. There's not enough friendships. There's not enough community. There's not enough life, wisdom, strength on our own. When we hit this wall, we slam into it and break into a million pieces. And just maybe, and I'm hoping this is true. I don't think this is a bad thing. Maybe that through common grace, God has protected you from that up until this point. That life has just been okay. That you've been able to rely on your own strength up until this point, and you've been fine. But I'm telling you, based on what Scripture says, there's going to come a day, and it's by God's goodness, not by his wrath, that he's going to lead you to a point where you cannot continue on your own. 
Because in that moment, the greatest thing for us is to figure out what it really looks like to rely on the Spirit, to rely on His strength, not on ourselves. So I guess a plead would be, uh, can we figure this out together now before, uh, before you have to? I mean, one of the things I love, and I can't remember who said it, but talking about God in his mercy, God in his grace, but also God in his power, is that there will come a day where you will bow or you will bow. You will willingly bow before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, or he will force you to bow. Which one do you want? To see God in his goodness and to willingly bow because of how good he is, or you're going to be forced to bow. And I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, but others are going, yeah, I know that feeling. I've hit that wall, I've hit that situation where all I can do is get on my knees and pray. And if I would have trusted the Spirit more in that moment, then that would not have been that bad of a moment. So, so here's some things that we have to start to understand and process a little bit. Um, how, what does it even look like then to follow the Holy Spirit? In this moment, verse 12, um, that the Holy Spirit will teach you in, every, in that very hour what you ought to say. Now, what does it even mean? I think the first thing is that we learn to listen. Psalms 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in and all through the earth. Be still and know that I am God. If God whispered to you, would you even realize? I can be in a crowd of literally hundreds of people and hear a baby cry and know if it's mine or not. Sometimes I'm confused and I go pick up someone else's baby and they're like, hey man, that's my baby. I'm like, okay, put it back down. But 90% of the, that's never happened by the way. 90% of the time I could hear a baby's cry and know exactly if that's mine or not. Can we hear the faint whisper of the spirit and know who it is? Do we work on, now remembering this, this isn't building strength. This is focusing on the strength that we already have. Do we sit in silence and say, Lord, speak? And listen, are we too quick praying these little shotgun prayers? God, I really need help on this. Thanks, amen. God, I really need help on this. Thanks, amen. Could you give me some more money, God, please? Because I'm running out. Thanks, amen. Bye. I didn't study for this test, so can you give me all the answers now? Okay, amen, go. (laughs) Someone pray that this week? (laughs) But do we actively stop and try to listen to what's already within us? that the King of kings, that the Lord of lords is inside of our souls now through the Holy Spirit. So we don't need to look anywhere else for the answers except for him and the scriptures. But we're so busy going and running to Google and our friends instead of stopping to listen to the Holy Spirit. Do we listen? Do we take time to stop I think once we listen, once we've gotten that understanding, we're listening, do we actually then believe? Because I promise you, some of the answers we get from him are not what we want. This, this famous saying about the gospel in Acts where um, the, the religious leaders of the day said, hey, the guys that turn the world upside down are here. He's talking about the disciples Jews that are turning the world upside down, that Christ has turned the world upside down. So when we listen, some of the answers we get are going to be upside down answers. Are we okay with that? Some of the answers are not going to make sense and logically in our mind. Psalms 32 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. I will counsel you with my eye. Okay, now listen. If we needed counseling, then shouldn't we listen? 
If we already had everything figured out, then why are we stopping to listen to the Holy Spirit? So when we listen, even if it sounds crazy, we need to believe. When we're taking time to stop and listen, let our yes be on the table, Lord. Whatever you tell us through your spirit, yes. That sounds really crazy. Yes, I'm in. Whatever it looks like. And, and the ending with that would be that we obey. James 2.17 says, So also faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. We cannot just listen and do nothing with it. I mean, and we know this. This is, I think this is what, in my own soul, just drives me crazy. And, and maybe you guys can relate to this. In no other arena of life can we listen and can we believe the truth about something and not do anything about it. I mean, just try it this week for me, students. Just try going to school and say, hey, professor, I heard that you said you are going to give a test. And I believe that you actually were going to give the test. But I didn't prepare because I didn't want to. So am I good to go? Or husbands, maybe try this on your wife. Oh, no, wife, I heard you, and I believed you meant what you said when you said pick up the kids at six. But I didn't feel like doing it. And tell me there's no real-world ramifications to either one of those scenarios. You're getting a black eye from your wife, and you're getting a zero on your test. That's what's about to take place. But when we come over to Christianity, we go, no, no, I heard what the Spirit said, and I believed it to be true. I just didn't want to do it, though. And God's going to give me grace, and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, God will give you grace. But that's not everything is not fine. If we hear, we've got to act. We've got to listen. We've got to believe that what he's saying is good for us. We've got to do something with it. We can't just stop and leave it there. So this week as we try this, as we listen to the Spirit, now I would just say, man, find some time alone where you can just literally sit in silence and do nothing. Be still and know that I am... God, and I could feel the pushback in my soul, and I could see it in your eyes. Pastor, that sounds great and all, but uh, I don't have five minutes to do nothing. Well, okay, find time. We find time for what's important, always, and this is important. So let me maybe clear up some things. If we're focusing on what the Holy Spirit does and how he speaks to us, I think just for the sake of argument, we've got to go to the other side. Here's what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. Okay, so don't take this and run too far with it. I think there's been a whole movement of people that have elevated the role of the Holy Spirit way too high and created almost a mysticism of Christianity that is sinful and is wrong and that movement should stop. So for clarity's sake, what does the Holy Spirit not do? The Holy Spirit doesn't make you lazy. The Holy Spirit does not make you lazy. Uh, I heard this, my last pastor said, and it was genius. We're sitting around a pastor's round table uh, talking about this, talking about the art of sermon writing, of homiletics, if you want to be a nerd. That's what this is. Homiletics, the art of preaching. And one by one, these men kept saying, man, I just get to the pulpit and I just rely on the Holy Spirit, man. I just get up there, and, but I don't even have to prepare. I know that this is enough. And when I get up there, the Holy Spirit's just going to inspire me. And I got to my pastor, and he just lovingly said, uh, I think the Holy Spirit is just as active in your study as he is in the pulpit. Yeah, it was that awkward. <laughs> it was super awkward. And my pastor at that time was not confrontational. And I was just like, give me the boxing glove. We just KO'd these fools. Like, this is awesome, right? Uh, and, and they had nothing. So here's what we do. It was, we had the tendencies to do, maybe not always. But reliance on the Holy Spirit does not mean that you don't study, does not mean that you don't love the Word. 
Does that mean that you're not constantly? Yes, when we get into these life situations, we're drugged before the council, rely on the Holy Spirit for what that he's going to tell you to say. But 1 Peter 3 is also true. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks of you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it out of gentleness and respect. Are these two things contradictory? No. Yes, do we rely on the Holy Spirit for the words to say? Sure, but what happens the other 23 hours and 59 minutes of the day? We rest, we study in the word. We are not created to be lazy humans. We're not created to go, okay, the Holy Spirit's going to take care of it. So I'm just going to, I don't know why I'm doing a country accent when I make fun of those guys. That has, that's just the only voice I've got. I'm not a, I would do British if I can do British, but I'm not British. That's just my go-to. Sorry, I just want to make sure I'm not offending like deep south southern preachers. I'm not, that's not a blanket statement, even though some would fall under this. Anyway, I digress. <laughs> what I'm saying here is we cannot be lazy Christians. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. We have the power of that. But we also have two eyes and a brain. We also have the word in front of us, which replaces me to the next one. Or brings me to the next one. Next one, the Holy Spirit is not a replacement to the Word. The Holy Spirit is not a replacement to the Word. If you don't know the Bible, listen. If you don't know the Bible, then you don't know if the Holy Spirit is confirming you, or what you're listening to is just a burrito you had for lunch. And I'm not lying. I've heard people do this before. Hey, Pastor, here's what I feel like the Spirit is telling me. I'm like. I don't know what your spirit listened to because that's exactly contradictory to what the scripture says. So I don't, I don't know who that voice is that you are so confident that's the spirit, but I'm telling you, you're wrong because the Bible says the opposite of that truth. So if we don't know scripture, then we cannot determine if what we're actually hearing is the spirit within us or just our conscience. There's a way that seems right to man, and in the end it leads to death. So not every voice you hear, not every feeling that you have are going to be promptings from the Holy Spirit. Some will, but we have to know the scripture to be able to identify, is this from God? Is this from the Spirit? Or is this just some crazy idea I've got that I want to do? Now trust me, I've been there. I felt like the Lord was telling my wife and I to quit our job with nothing in the works. Now that obviously seems like, man, that's some pretty great areas in the scripture. There's a Plain sight, the McCords just did that. They felt like the Lord was saying, no, it's time for you to go into the next season of your life. But both of us prayed, both of us sought wise counsel, and we got engrenched in the word to see if we're making the right decision. So yes, do we follow the Spirit? But yes, we cannot neglect the fact that Scripture is true. But Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing through the division of souls and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So what the, what the Scripture is going to do is bring clarity to what the Spirit is asking us to do. Remember this one, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All spirit is breathed out by God, or all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. For the man, or man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the role of the spirit does not make us lazy and does not replace the scriptures. Those two go hand in hand. I think the last one, this is probably what you've heard a lot of when people refer to the Spirit. 
Um, one of my, and I don't really know who to contribute this to because in my searches this week, I've always uh, heard that this one theologian said it, but someone else now, so I'm just going to not even worry about that part. Uh, one theologian refers to the Holy Spirit as the shy spirit. And what he means is the Spirit never brings attention to himself. He's always bringing it to Christ. That the Spirit always will bring us back, will woo us back to Christ. And what we see in some of these really dangerous, heretical, charismatic movements is an elevation of the Spirit to be the supreme part of the Trinity. That the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit is good, but the ultimate good is walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is it, and God and Jesus are just kind of hanging out like, hey, put me, put me. That is not the role of the Spirit. The Spirit is a shy spirit that's always pushing us back to the words, to the thoughts, to the motives of Christ. So if we're elevating the Spirit into somewhere where it shouldn't be, we need to know that we're walking probably on our own authority, not His. Here's what this looks like. I feel like the Spirit told me uh, that I need to, we're going to sell everything that the branch owns, and we're just going to start meeting at homes again. Sounds good, right? Okay, so here's what we're going to do. Next week, you're going to come here, and there's going to be nothing here, and we're going to make all these plans. But don't ask me where the money's going. Just, just know that we're going to sell everything and get rid of it, because that's what the Spirit told me to do. So the entire time I'm going, I'm pushing this narrative of this is a good thing the Spirit told me to. No, you can't argue with me, because the Spirit told me this. This is what the Spirit says. The Spirit, Spirit, Spirit. Come to find out, I'm just pocketing all that we just sold, and I'm going to leave town in a couple weeks. Right? So when we elevate the role of the Spirit without the check of Scripture and the check of community, then we might get a little uh, topsy-turvy on some of this stuff. It releases the authority of the church and the authority of Scripture to say, no, the Spirit told me, so leave me alone. We've elevated the role of the Spirit because the Spirit is a shy Spirit. He's pointing us back to the character and nature of Jesus. Last Scripture for the morning, John 16. I still have many, this is Jesus talking, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak in his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me being Jesus, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine. Therefore, I say to you, he will take what's mine and declare it to you. So the role of the Spirit is a shy spirit. He's not bringing attention to himself. He's pushing you constantly back to Christ. So this week, what does it look like for you and what does it look like for me to walk in this role of listening and acting in the Spirit? Uh, Here's just a small thing that I do, and sometimes I forget. Uh, I meet with a lot of people throughout the week. One of the things I do is I'm walking into meetings and go, Spirit, give me the words to say when I don't have any. And then I just go sit down. It's just a simple, short, quick prayer. Because I don't know some of these meetings I'm walking into. Some it might be, this horrible, here's what's going on. Here's this death. Here's this divorce. Here's this burden that I'm carrying. Some of these are going to be accusations that like, hey, you're a bad pastor because. And almost all of those are right. Some of these are just going to be like, hey, man, no, I just want to talk. You don't know how many meetings I walk into. And like, no, I just want to catch up. I'm like, Give me a second. Whew. Okay. Hey, friend, what's up? You know, like, because that's not the typical meetings I walk into. So just a quick, before you walk into these hard conversations, go, Spirit, I don't know. I've prepared, I've studied, but you are in me. What do you have to say? Uh, Maybe another one, just finding, again, two minutes. It doesn't have to be long. Two minutes in your day just to sit down and say, Spirit, would you speak and do nothing? Fight to clear your mind. Fight to clear your conscience. And just listen and sit in silence. 
Open your eyes, close your eyes, whatever helps you focus, just to listen to him. But, but here's my plea, and I'll end with this. If we actively start asking the Spirit to speak, we better be ready to do. If we're actively listening for the Spirit to speak to us, to illuminate Jesus in our hearts, we better get ready to do what he's asking us to do. Don't be afraid to walk into community this week, whether it be on Tuesday night, Thursday night, or Friday night, and say, hey, listen, here's what I feel like the Spirit's asking me to do, and I'm really nervous about this, but if I don't bring it up here, then no one's going to hold me accountable. And use the community, use Scripture to determine if it's real or not, but then also use them as accountability to do what he's asking you to do. Because remember, this is going to be some upside-down logic being thrown your way. There'll be things that he's going to ask you to do that you're going to go, that makes literally no sense right now but I'm in. I'll do it. Does it make any sense to quit your job with nothing lined up when you have kids? No, it doesn't. But does it bring me so much joy three years later to sit here and participate in this, knowing that if my wife and I wouldn't have followed God's promptings, this would not be here? Yeah. So, are we going to listen? Are we going to trust? Are we going to believe what he's asking us to do, and are we going to do it? Now, every week we end, to, or almost every week we end the same way. We as believers in this room get to stop and remember the goodness of Christ through communion. That he came and he died for us. And here's what makes it special this morning. Uh, isn't it great that we have a God that didn't just die and then leave us here to figure things out? This whole idea that we get to brag about the Holy Spirit, that we get to talk about, we have the Spirit inside of us, active inside of us, that is saying, hey, listen, do this, don't do this, I'm with you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forget about you, I'm here. Isn't that incredible news based on the gospel? That he did not save us and go, all right, go have fun, kids, figure it out, I'll see you when you die. He could have, but he didn't. So as I pray and as we take communion, let us remember that, that he did not save us to leave us, that he saved us. He's given us the strength that we need, which is the Spirit. Let's pray. And Father, you are so good to us. Jesus, we don't, we can't fathom the fact that, that you love us just in general. And Father, we, we all know ourselves. We know the truth even though we can put up a front, sometimes we know the truth about us. We know our thoughts. We know our motives. We know the feeling that who, who could actively love us? And not only love us, but love us to the point of death on the cross to bring us in right standings with God. Father, and that's what you've done. But you didn't stop there. You didn't just justify us. Father, but you've adopted us. God, and you've given us the gift of the Holy Spirit that we are never truly alone. God, in the deepest, darkest moments of our life, let us find comfort that you are inside of us, that you are whispering to us, that you are speaking to us the truth of the gospel over us, that we are loved, that we are accepted, that we have been made new we are strong, not because of anything we've done, but because of you, Christ. So as we take communion, Father, this morning, would we remember, would we celebrate all that you've done for us? God, you didn't just leave us here to figure things out, but you've given us the gift of the Spirit. Thank you.
And God, I pray for this church. God, I pray as we go throughout this week that we would actively fight for what it would mean to listen to you. God, that we would study our word and we would sit in silence, growing in the ability to listen to the Holy Spirit. And Father, when you speak to us this week, would we believe your words and would we do what you've asked us to do? It's hard and as strange as it is. Father, because we see your story in, we see you in the courtroom. Father, we see you innocent, being charged as guilty, and you choose not to defend yourself. We see you walking to the cross, choosing to die for sinners that are going to spit on your face, that are going to mock you, that are going to beat you, and you're dying for all of them, Father, that you see us in all of our brokenness, and all of our wretchedness, and you still choose to die because the Holy Spirit led you to that cross. So Father, we're asking, would you lead us to some waters that sing crazy? Because then we get to see you move. Then we get to see you act. Would we not remain on our own strengths, Father, but would we rely solely on the strength of you and your spirit and your word? So thank you. Thank you for your bread which represents the body. Thank you for the juice, which represents your blood. Thank you for your death that brought us life. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.